week's reading for the seventh Sunday after Pentecost comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Do not bring us into the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me for the door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. A couple of months ago, an event happened within my extended family that really marked a transition in terms of generation. The oldest one of my nieces, the oldest of the grandkids, or my kids' generation, got married. Now, she's the oldest of the whole crew. She's in her early 20s. She graduated from college just uh, this past spring, and she got married. What's interesting about this whole situation is at the wedding itself, I was sitting in the pews surrounded by a number of, of my extended family, you know, various connections, aunts, uncles, cousins, my, my immediate family, kind of all of us were gathered there together. And the other thing that you have to, to know about this or what's important to know about this is that while I am Lutheran and a lot of my extended family is Lutheran and follow that tradition or that, that denomination, my niece is actually Catholic. And because of that, it was a Catholic wedding. And knowing that, having been to some Catholic weddings, having been to some Catholic masses in the past, I knew that there was going to be a difference in terms, well, there'd be a lot of differences, but one in particular. And you might be familiar with this, and it centers around what we know as the Lord's Prayer. For those not familiar, the Lord's Prayer, the Catholic version, is shorter than what we in the Protestant denominations or the Protestant traditions, we kind of tack on an ending. There's the ending when we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Catholic faith does not say that. They just stop. And I knew that coming up, so I kind of whispered to everybody around. I said, now, keep in mind, we're going to see where all the different Protestants are sitting when we're doing the Lord's Prayer because they're all going to continue until they catch themselves. Strangely enough, actually, everybody was aware, and I didn't hear any Protestants keep going. I was really proud of them. But you know what? The flip side of this type of situation is also true. As a pastor, I preside over weddings fairly regularly, and I've done a number of them, and I've done them in different settings. And I can remember one in particular where the reverse of this situation happened. Now, what was interesting about this particular wedding was the, the place that we were at, the setting that we were in, Actually, the wedding party was behind me. They were on a staircase kind of lining up behind me. The bride and the groom were in front of me, and that was fine, but I had them behind me. This is uncommon. Usually everyone's kind of opposite for me, but they were back there. Most of the time it was fine. It was not a big deal. But when we were doing the Lord's Prayer, the best man who was standing right here, 
He happened to be Catholic, and I heard the flip side of this whole situation that I was describing with my niece's wedding. When we got to the point where, where the, the Protestants all kept going, and we said, for the thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, I just heard him go, oh, because he had stopped, and then he was confused by the whole thing. Both of these moments, both of these situations kind of figure into this passage because we have here one of two versions of the Lord's Prayer or two moments within the different Gospels in which Jesus presents the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you know the one that typically we utilize in worship settings, the one that's arguably the most well-known and most utilized, actually comes out of Matthew's Gospel. It's part of a larger time of teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the version that we utilize in worship. And many people are familiar with it. This one, if you caught it when I read it, it's just a little bit different. Now, this type of thing is not uncommon amongst the Gospels when we have the same stories or the same type of teaching. Oftentimes, they're presented ever so slightly differently. And this one's the same. But as I thought about it, as I got to thinking about what we read here, and I was working with the text as I normally do, I noticed that there were some distinctions between the version that we normally utilize and this version here in Luke. And I'm not just talking about the general length. Matthew's version is a little bit longer. It's got a few more lines or a few more, few more things that are, are said in it. But, but there's some other distinctions. Now, when I am teaching in confirmation, and sometimes other folks as well, but when I'm teaching about the Lord's Prayer, we focus in on each statement, and we call them something specific. We call them a petition. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of a petition. That's fairly common just in regular life, that petitions get signed when groups or communities want to try and enact change. And that's what it is. It's you're asking for something specific, and you're asking for some action to be taken on your behalf. In Matthew's version, the, the version that we are so familiar with, every single line is a petition. It is a request for something. But I noticed when I was working with this passage here in Luke, and specifically when I was working with the original language and the way everything is worded and the, the emphasis that's placed on things, rather than petitions or requests, they're actually more statements. And I want to kind of read them again just to, just to sort of run it down, and maybe you'll pick up on this distinction. May your kingdom not, no, I, you know what, I got to start over. I messed that up. Your kingdom come. You give us each day our daily bread. You forgive our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. You know, there's this subtle distinction. It's almost like we're making a declaration of something that God does rather than asking God to take action. And while this is a subtle distinction, I think it's an important one that we focus in on. And it also reveals something of attention that we find in life. Life has got a combination of things that have already happened and things that we desire to happen, things that we want to be a part of, things that we wish we were not a part of, all of it. There's always this tension that's going on. And I think that these two different versions reveal that. And I also think that this ongoing moment of teaching from Jesus past the ending of the prayer and the strange little parable that he talks about, they're, they're important to highlight that. Now, that parable is interesting. In this story, Jesus says, imagine that there's a guy and in the middle of the night, a friend of his comes to his house. He arrives from a journey. And now because of the rules of hospitality of that culture, he has to provide some food for his friend who's just arrived and he realizes I don't have anything. 
So in trying to follow one aspect of culture, he breaks another aspect of culture and he goes over in the middle of the night and he hammers on his neighbor's door. And he says, hey, give me some bread so I can feed my friend. And the guy from inside's like, hey man, it's the middle of the night. My kids are already in bed. I can't get up and give that to you. And so he's breaking social decorum. But then Jesus says, because of the man's persistence, he will give him what he asks. Now here's another translation moment. Actually, rather than persistence, it would be better to say because of his shamelessness. He is shameless in hammering on his neighbor's door in order to meet the needs that are before him. Now Jesus seems to be implying that when we pray, when we approach God in prayer, we too should be shameless as we come before God. And I think all of this kind of figures into the same idea that we, we are talking about, that in this life, this life of faith that we live, or this life of faith, or of exploration of matters of God, whatever we want to say, however we want to say it, I think we continue to find that tension between things that God has already done and things that we would desire that God continues to do. And that is present when we consider this, your kingdom come. And that seems to imply that the action is happening on the part of God and maybe just maybe that's already done. And yet we're asking that it be something that we are included in. And I believe as we consider all of this, we must remember that whatever it was that God was up to in the life and the death and the resurrection, it was somehow bringing the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God near to us. That is a message that Jesus makes over and over and over again. And we've seen it and heard it in our, our recent stories as Jesus tasks his disciples to join in the ministry and make that same proclamation. The kingdom of God has come near. Now we remember now, as we look back 2,000 years and, and we ponder and we wonder about what is it that God was up through through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, whatever it was, it was bringing that kingdom to us. And I believe that's already finished. I believe when Jesus hangs on the cross and he says those words, it is finished, he's not being metaphorical, the work is done. And yet we ask day by day, over and over again, we wish to be included on. And so maybe, just maybe what Jesus is revealing to us today in this specific teaching, as opposed to the teaching of the similar thing in Matthew's gospel, is the recognition of the action that God is already up to and looking to be included in it. Now, Jesus tells us that we should pray this, or whenever we pray, this is what we should do, and we should do that day by day by day. And I think we also remember and acknowledge that even if the work is already done, the tension remains, and we don't always feel that. And I believe that's because of the presence of brokenness within the world, brokenness that's a part of us. And I think that's why we make the request or we make the statement, forgive us our sins. Lord, you forgive our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. As we forgive, so you forgive and heal that relationship, that brokenness that exists in the relationship between us and God and between us and one another. All around as we consider this greater thing, we must remember the tension of life. It is good, but not perfect. There's good stuff, there's rough stuff. And even within us, God calls us good, but we also know that we are broken and we are not perfect. And that all of these situations figure in that whatever Jesus accomplished, we ask that we'd be a part of it. And we acknowledge the work that God has already done to overcome it. May we be empowered and may we be encouraged 
whenever we pray, whenever we come before the Lord in prayer, that we are a part of whatever it is that is bringing this kingdom of God into fulfillment. And at the same time, recognizing that it has already come near to us. It is already here and that it has been offered to us through Christ. That it's both now and not yet. It's done and not finished. And yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that's strange. It seems like a mystery. I can't solve it for you. But our life of faith says, yes, Lord, may it be and may we be a part of it.